Hey, what's up, everybody? Danny Pinto here from the Celeste Sound Podcast, and I just want to remind you that Manscaped is a proud sponsor of the Celeste Sound Podcast. Now, even though we feel that we are Europe's best, we being the Celeste Sound and the fans of the Celeste Sound, the rest of those imposters who are now heading to the quarterfinals of the Euros, uh, yeah, even with Portugal out, we still want you to avoid a messy midfield and clean it all up with Manscaped. Get yourself Manscaped's brand new Lawnmower 4.0 available in the United States and in Canada, and also get Manscaped's Ultra Smooth Package. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, our wonderful Celeste Sound Podcast listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping worldwide when you use the promo code Celeste Sound at Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Celeste Sound at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code CELESSON. That's S-E-L-E-C-A-O. Hit the target and cheer up your D this Euros with Manscaped. This is Eric Krakow from BN Sports, and you are listening to the Sound Podcast. Simoj, bending one for Torres. Eusebio. And we welcome you to episode number 49 of the Celeste Sound Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. I want to thank you once again to uh, and to thank each and every one of you for making the Celeste Sound Podcast a part of your podcast listening day as unfortunately for all of us uh, listening, uh, unfortunately for me behind the microphone here, our beloved Celeste Sound are defending European champions no more as Portugal lost 1-0 to Belgium this past Sunday in the round of 16 at Euro 2020, uh, another disappointing exit in the round of 16 for a uh, for a uh, second major tournament now for Fernand Sanch and his men following uh, the glory that was 2016. We will cover all aspects of the Belgium match, the tournament as a whole, and of course Fernand Sanch and his future uh, with the last song, whether you want it to continue uh, or not, and we'll talk uh, all about it one last time during uh, Euro 2020 with Eric Krakauer of BN Sports, who has uh, graciously served as our Portugal match analyst throughout the entirety of this tournament thus far. Uh, We have had an absolute blast with Eric, and he has been uh, extremely gracious with his time, and we will get his thoughts one more time on this podcast. But first, before we do that, let us remind you again of all the ways you can follow, share, listen, and subscribe 
to the Sell Sound Podcast. First and foremost, bookmark our website, sellassellingpod.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube uh, uh, channel. We are back on YouTube for this episode. Uh, just enter the Sell Sound Podcast in the search engine and hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod. Check us out on Instagram at Pod. Facebook.com slash Pod. Go ahead and uh, like and share that page uh, with all your friends on uh, Facebook.com. And, of course, you can email us, CelestSoundPod at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other podcasting platforms by simply entering the Sound Podcast in your search engine. And uh, some of you guys have given us that five-star rating. We greatly appreciate that. Some of you have given us that uh, that uh, nice uh, comment or, uh, or two. We appreciate that on Apple Podcasts. If you would be so kind to continue doing that, Every little bit helps making this show more available and more visible on podcasting platforms and on social media. And don't forget about our partners over at the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company, serving delicious barbecue all over Northern California and the Bay Area. Remember, to, uh, for a quote, you can go and send a message on uh, the JRBC Instagram page uh, over at, uh, at Joseph underscore Ray underscore BBQ underscore CO. That's at Joseph underscore Ray, spelled R-A-E, underscore B-B-Q underscore C-O. Like this podcast, the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company is Portuguese-American owned and operated, and they are ready to make your next gathering an extremely tasty one. Hit up the pure delicious fire that is the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company on Instagram and tell them that you heard about them on the Celeste Song Podcast. And now for the final time during Euro 2020, here is our uh, discussion with Eric Krakauer on episode number 49 of the Celeste Song Podcast. All right, folks. So unfortunately, uh, this will be our uh, our last episode with Eric Krakauer during Euro 2020. As uh, Eric, I'm not sure if you are aware, but apparently the uh, the Celeste Song lost this weekend 1-0 uh, to those uh, pesky Belgians. But... Um, uh, we uh, we bring you in now to get your uh, to get your thoughts and uh, and to make sure that you're doing okay. I'm doing okay, but are you doing okay, sir? I'm doing better. Uh, <laughs> and after watching France lose, I felt a little bit better because you know, as as a Portuguese, um, you can't help but have a, a certain amount of animosity towards the French because the French always seem to knock us out of tournaments. So uh, I was very very upset on Sunday night. Uh, but come Monday, I felt a heck of a lot better. Did you feel upset or were you more sad? Because I felt more sad because uh, it, this wasn't this wasn't the same kind of loss that Germany was. This was a loss that you know they they kept you know they kept attacking, they kept going at Belgium, especially in that second half. Uh, but they just couldn't figure out a way to get uh, to get the ball past Coutinho. And uh, to at least either tie the match or or even win it, so it, it it was more frustrating. I wasn't upset. I was more. I mean, sad is such a relative term, but I wasn't like I wasn't pissed off. I guess I was. I was sad that it ended, but I wasn't upset with how it ended. I guess. Well, I, look, I was a little bit pissed off because it. Here seems, we go. It seems that Portugal only really. Um, assert themselves when the backs are against the wall. And this is something that's been part of the DNA for, for many, many years. Uh, you know, even in qualifying, you and I had a conversation a few pods ago about the qualification process and how Portugal is often, uh, you know, uh, 
had to claw back at the end of qualification process of the qualification process because they've slipped up in ways that are almost unforgivable for a, a team of that magnitude sure. and considering how easy relatively easy the qualification process is for most european teams especially when they are considered you know contenders like like portugal is so i was frustrated that it took um you know a goal that is born out of a defensive mistake uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and the last 15 minutes of the game when you realize that you're at the end of the rope and the road that you start pushing everybody forward and i don't think that there was really much of a strategy um yeah as far as how to attack how to break down that uh defensive posture put up by by belgium yeah, it seemed it seemed to the the creativity seemed to end right around the uh, right around the eighteen and trying to figure out how to how to break down that uh, that Belgium defense. But um, yeah, let's let's go through uh, the the match here uh, again. A, a big time match. The the number one team according to FIFA, Belgium, the defending European champs uh, in our uh, in our selection. Uh, first chance uh, came uh, for Portugal in the sixth minute. Um, Hunat Sanchez, who I, for my money was Portugal's best player uh, throughout the entire tournament, um, he took off, uh, just spun around a, a Belgium defender right at midfield, found Diogo Jota in space, and Diogo Jota did what Diogo Jota did all all uh, all tournament long. Just in, in my opinion, he just, he just he he pressed the entire four games, the four matches um, for for this last song. Just didn't even put the ball on frame. Uh, I, I thought it was a microcosm of his tournament. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. His first touch was a poor one because it takes him away from goal and it forces him on his left foot where perhaps if he takes a better touch with his right foot and puts him in a more narrow position, he can hit it with his right foot. Even hitting it first time, I thought, was an Even, option. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a very good point, but it was an excellent play from Renato Sanchez who is diabolical. Uh, in those first 45. I thought he made a couple of mistakes in possession, held on to the ball a little bit too much in the second half, but that's only if I'm being very, very picky. He and Pep were by far the best players for, for Portugal in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the in the 25th minute, uh, after a Vermaelen handball on the right side of the box, uh, Ronaldo, uh, in my opinion, hit his best free kick of the tournament from about 25 yards out. Uh, that was denied by Coutois, um, and uh, Palinga headed it back to him, but that was never really um, a dangerous effort there. The uh, the final blow, the first and final blow, uh, came in the 42nd minute after you mentioned it, um, just not being able to clear the ball um, just outside their 18. Uh, Thorgon uh, Hazard with a swerving rocket that beat Hui Patricio for what is what we know as the the game winning goal there. Um, not uh, not a great defensive effort there. Um, by the by, the Celeste song trying to get that ball out of their uh, out of their own end. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you saw leading up to that goal, and then uh, talk to me about what you, how you thought Hui Patricio did in uh, in the attempt to uh, to save uh, that shot by Hazard. Well, you know, if we go back to the last pod that that I was on with you, I mentioned that one of the big differences between Germany and Belgium. Um, given that they play the same system more or less, is that Thorgan Hazard is a right-footed player, so he looks to cut inside rather than attack the wing like Gosens uh, 
did. And by the way, this is a complete aside, but if you watched England against Germany today, it just reinforced how pathetically Portugal played that game against Germany sure. and all the freedom that they afforded Kimmich and, and, and Gosens. Uh, but that's a whole different story. We can go back into that if you want to a little bit later. Because no, that game was that game is too painful. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. Well, it sort of underscores <laughs> though, Danny. It sort of underscores something that we'll talk about, which is for them the centers and his future uh, in the team. But for me, the the key to that play isn't so much that they failed to to clear the ball because that happens. You know, the ball ricochets. Sure. You get a little bit un- unlucky. It's the fact that once Hazard cuts inside, nobody nobody pushes up to him. You know, he has a free shot and he hits it beautifully. And those, you know, I'm not a goalkeeper and I'm not a goalkeeping expert, uh, but from having conversations, you know, with, with goalkeepers that I've worked with, I work with a former uh, Manchester United goalkeeper, you know, and, and talking to him about different situations that arise in games and actually following a very good goalkeeping account on Twitter – uh, it's almost impossible to save that ball. I mean, that's sure. defying the laws of, of gravity. You know, there's the 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 point of when Hazard shoots the ball, which makes it look like the ball is going towards that near post. Rui Patricio makes that initial yep. initial move to the right, and then once the ball starts swinging out, he's wrong-footed. There's no way he's going to get there. So it's a beautiful goal. We can't put any blame on Rui Patricio, but we can um, sort of focus on how slow the Portuguese back line. And I think it was Pep, actually, who doesn't push up quickly enough, nor does Ruben Dias. Yeah, I, I, only, I only bring up Rui Patricio because, you know, his name has been uh, talked about a little bit more just in terms of this tournament. Uh, you know, people thought that he had a, a poor game against, uh, against Germany. My opinion, I mean, those goals were coming at him from just – yeah, you know, they were coming hot and heavy, and I, I don't know what what other goalkeeper could have done a better job against Germany. I think most of the the most of the finger pointing was about his distribution. Uh, okay, his, that's fair with his, with his feet because he did make some very key saves against sure. Germany. Sorry yeah, to yeah. Off. Oh no, no, absolutely. And then I, I think some folks may have may have uh, took umbrage with uh, maybe um, the angle he took on the the Benzema, Benzema second goal. Uh, but uh, but again, that, I I only bring up Hui Patrice because I know that his name has been bandied about a little bit uh, this tournament. But um, but yeah, that puts that puts us at one nil at the half. Right before the half, though, uh, a a João Palinha yellow card on uh, on KDB um, for all intents and purposes knocks KDB out of the game because two minutes into the um, two minutes into the second half, um, you know De Bruyne cannot go any further because of the ankle. Did you did you think? I'll ask you about the tackle. I think I know where you're going to go with the tackle, but uh, did you think it was clean? Did it merit a a yellow card? It merited a yellow card, and you could make the case that it could be an orange card because <laughs> what are, we pl- are we playing indoor? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. Do they give orange cards indoor? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, he slides in with his right boot and gets the ball, but his trailing leg catches De Bruyne's ankle in a very, very bad way. And you actually see that tackle um, in other situations – cause a leg break or an ankle break. Uh, actually, one that comes to mind was in the final of the uh, Coupe de France between Saint-Étienne and PSG last year, where uh, there was a direct red for a very similar tackle on Kylian Mbappe. I forget the player who, who was sent off. And Kylian Mbappe, very lucky not to have his ankle uh, snapped off. Very similar. So I think yellow is fine. 
But I'll tell you what, at that point, he was very, very lucky, Palinha, because he should have gotten a yellow card for pulling back. Yes. Um, um, for pulling back. Uh, uh, Lukaku. Lukaku earlier yeah, yeah. on. I couldn't believe that the referee didn't see that. Yeah, and, and I, it wasn't even a an indication of playing an advantage either. That was the that was the strangest part to me. Not so much the yellow card not being given, but there was no there was no stoppage once once Belgium lost the uh, lost the possession. But yeah, um, yeah but uh, but as soon as KDB is off the off the field, Eric uh, Belgium I, I, to call them pedestrian I think would be uh, kind because they did nothing for for the next uh, 45, 46, 47 minutes and. That's when you saw the the frustration of being a fan of the Slesong. You finally saw Portugal kind of be on the front foot when they absolutely needed to instead of initiating that way. Um, and, and that started with uh, with the subs coming in in the 56 with Bruno Fernandes and João Félix coming in for João Moutinho and uh, Bernard Silva. Again, Bernard Silva, we can we can talk uh, about him and and his and his tournament. Um, yeah, you know, we can get that uh, get that uh, after the the recap here. But um, you know, one of the better uh, opportunities for Portugal came uh, in the 58th minute with uh, some nice combo work between uh, Ronaldo and uh, Diogo Dalot. Um, Ronaldo found a pass to Jota right in front of the six. He misses it, puts it over the over the the goal. Uh, in the 61st minute, Renat Sanch finds João Felix right on the right side of the six. Uh, he heads it, but Coutinho is there for uh, for the save. And then uh, about 20 minutes left, Diogo Jota makes way for Andres Silva. Some news on Andres Silva coming up later on in the uh, in the pod here. Uh, and then uh, the final subs were Danilo and Sergio Oliveira for Palinha and Renat Sanch. Portugal hits the frame. Uh, actually, not the frame, but uh, hits the... Uh, the um, nope, I'm a little bit ahead of myself here. In the 81st, it's a header from Ruben Dias off of a corner. And then uh, Gahaidu hits the right post. Uh, would have beaten Coutois if that just goes in two inches uh, inside the post and that was it Eric and that was the end of the uh of, of the euros for Portugal uh chances sure they were there did not convert um it was a little refreshing to see them play the way they did in the second half but again the frustration that you and I both have is why do why wait until your back is against the wall to play like that to be on the front foot and that has been an absolute um fair criticism in my part uh, to the Fernand era these last two, three years. Yes, and I think that's a big point that I won't, you know, rehash again uh, because we made it right at the top of the broadcast, but I would add something else, and that is that even in possession, when Portugal had possession in the first half, they were simply incapable of breaking down the Belgian national team. Incapable, just out of ideas. Uh, the only time that they really threatened was in transition. If Belgium lost the ball up the field and Renato Sanch, more than anybody else, broke out uh, at speed, you know, uh, wrestled away from, from his marker and, and found an option. Uh, there was a, a crazy moment also in the first half, I believe, where Diogo Dalot has the ball all the way on the right side. He dribbles past a couple of players and then has to slow down because nobody's joined them in, into the attack. Um, so... Yeah, there were there were numerous times, Eric. Not to cut you off, but there are numerous times where you're seeing a Portuguese player, whether it be from the back or receiving the ball in the midfield, and they go and they go and they're on the front foot, and then it's almost like they take a swerve to the left or to the right because the ball then has to go to the wing because it always goes to the wing, and then that's the that's the way that they decide to to attack. And I get it; that's sometimes the way to to attack things. But I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you in this sense. It's it's frustrating to see. Just a 
it's just a passive approach. Well, it's a lack. It's more than just a passive approach. It's, and it's, it's lack of creativity, like you've mentioned before. Yeah, but it, it's not the player's responsibility here. This also comes down to coaching, right? You need you need some attacking fundamentals, and fundamentals is probably the wrong word, right? Because you know fundamentals are fundamentals, but sure. you need attacking processes in place. You need to put players in situations in terms of training, in terms of practice, and I'm sure that the central does this, but maybe he doesn't do it well enough or consistently enough. But you put players in situations where you have a plan to break down a defense that will sit quite deep. And if Fernando Santos goes into this game and thinks that Belgium is just going to attack Portugal outright, then he didn't do his homework very well because we saw it against Denmark. They beat Denmark, but they were sitting back for you know 80 minutes of that game. And then it took two very special moments from Kevin De Bruyne to, to, to kill off the, the Danes. So... You know, he needed to have a plan on how to attack, how to break down that team. And it just seemed like there was none. And Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, simply doesn't help. And he had a pretty good game. But the thing is, if you're playing with Cristiano Ronaldo in the role that he's supposed to be playing in, but he is spending most of his time out wide, there were so many instances where you look at the box, the Belgian box, and there's nobody there. Sure. There's nobody there for Portugal. So you have to rotate the ball back and then you have to resort to these shots from absolutely nowhere. And that statistic of Portugal out shooting Belgium really is deceiving, right? It doesn't doesn't really demonstrate dominance. Belgium managed that game beautifully after going ahead. They did what they had to do. They scored the goal. And then they basically sat back in a very organized manner and said, come on, give us what you've got. And let's see if we can fend you off. And you know what? For the most part, Portugal didn't give them very much. Yep. We're uh, we're talking with Eric Krakauer here of uh, BN Sports. He's been – oh, look at that mug. My God. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only thing that, it's bring, that is bringing me some sort of, of – uh, 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 what's the word? I need to find a, a good word here. Well, it's helped me heal, right, Understood. over the last few days, but giving me some – Oh my God, I'm lacking for vocabulary here. It's all right. I just need you for one more show, man. That's it. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> think about it. I'll think about it. It's been a busy. You, it's been a busy day. Did you uh, Did you purchase comfort, that? Uh, comfort is what there I was it is. For. There did comfort. you purchase that? Uh, did you purchase that mug recently? Like I don't know, maybe late May. <laughs> no, I've had this one for a while. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's a, a lot of different ways we can go um, right now, Eric. I, I want to focus. Let's focus on Fernand Sanz. Um, as soon as as soon as the final whistle was blown, Twitter was going. He needs to go. He needs to go. He needs to go. We, uh, you know, we both think, or we both thought that. Uh, and I have come to this, I've come to this uh, rationale that I, I have been a big Fernand defender because of, um, because of 2016, and and I I have defended him, and no pun intended, because he's a defensive coach. Uh, but I've defended him to a fault because his system has always been one that gave Portugal result uh, after result. We would qualify. We would get to, you know, we won the, the tournament in 2016, won, uh, won the Nations League in 2019. Um, but when it was broken, and I think it was broken against that Ger- in, in Germany or against Germany, yeah, in Germany, in Munich, um, my patience and my, um, I guess my defense of him uh, waned a little bit. And I think both things can be true. I don't know if I said this to you while you were on or if I, I put it as part of the 
the uh, the beginning part of the of that episode. But everyone can thank Fernand Sanch for everything he has absolutely done for this national team. He is the first to ever coach this national team to an international title. No one can do that. No, uh, no, uh, the golden generation didn't bring that. Uzebu, God rest his soul, didn't bring that to us. Fernand Sanch and this group of players, the majority of them brought us that first international trophy. With that said, when your time is done, your time is done. And I think you and I are of the opinion that Fernand Sanch, for everything he's done, his time is done, or should be done, I should say, with this current group of players. Yeah, I think the irony is that, you know, given how poorly they've done since 2016, and we can go on and on about 2016 and how fortunate Portugal were. I know that there was a question that somebody asked us, or more, it was more of a comment, which said, how can you consider Portugal lucky in 2016 when they've been semifinalists in 2006, when they reached the final in 2004? Yeah, look, you know, Portugal has been one of the most successful teams in major tournaments over the last decade, uh, more than that, almost two decades. Uh, that is true, but that doesn't in any way uh, negate the fact that in 2016, Portugal were very, very lucky. I mean, in two major tournaments, the last uh, major tournaments that we we have had before um, this one, this is this is the yeah this uh, yeah this is yeah. And let me read it real quick from under. Okay, oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right? So we won against Wales in 2016, mm-hmm. and then we won against Morocco in 2018. And we won against Hungary in this one. That's three wins. In three tournaments. In three major tournaments. Yeah. For a team with this much talent, with a team that had Cristiano Ronaldo um, still, I know he's he's older, he's in the twilight of the, his career, but a better player than most players in the world, especially in this position, it needs to be better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is uh, Andrew Gomes. Uh, he's on Twitter here, uh, Gomesy17. Uh, yeah, he runs it down. 20, 2000 semifinal, 2004 runner-up, uh, brings it all the way up to uh, to the Nations League. Um, you know, but you're right, Eric. The in terms of winning in regulation, and again, there there is to me that this isn't a. I'm not here to bash for none, Sunch, because again, this is this is a this is a a gentleman who we will. I will take a a tournament win like that, Eric. Every day of the week, I don't care if 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 the if the soccer is ugly, and at, at times it was, and it has been ugly the last few years. I will always be indebted to uh, to Fernand Sanch. He should be canonized in Lisbon, hundred percent. But it, it's okay to criticize someone who's brought you a championship to that hasn't been getting the most out of the talent that he of has course. has has uh, has received, and it's like it's. I just see such a, a, a – it's either one or the other. It's like right. you have to love Fnun Sanch or he sucks, and right. it's, it's, and, and it's neither. And right. It's neither. Right. It's polarizing. It's the, the polarization of these topics, and it seems like we live in a world where there's no nuance uh, anymore. And I don't know if I actually finished the point or if I made it correctly. I was going to say, you know, ironically, I think he's outlived his welcome, and because he's outliving his, his welcome – uh, everything that he accomplished in the past gets a little bit blemished. I mean, to, to some degree, right? I mean, it happened with Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Look at Joachim Vlov with the German national team. Sure, absolutely. Up in 2014. And, and, you know, I'm not going to say that he should have left 
after 2014. But obviously, the decade that he was in charge had a lot of failures as well, including not moving out of the group stage in the 2018 World Cup. So there are cycles for managers, and very few are able to achieve uh, success in the in you know after remaining there for a long time. Vladimir Petkovic with Switzerland is one of the names that comes to mind of a guy who's been there for for a considerable amount of time, and he just seems to be you know always progressing with this Swiss national team, defeating France. Obviously, the absolute apex of that. Uh, I think Fernando Santos has done, you know, he did what nobody else has done with this national team. He did it ugly, but he succeeded. The problem is that now we're doing, we're, we're doing it ugly. We're not living up to the potential of the quality players that we have, particularly in, in the uh, attack and we're not winning. So the, yeah. the, that, that trifecta alone says, you know what? It's time to go. You've been fantastic. We should build a, a, a statue of you in the Ciudad Football in Oelish. Yep. Uh, but that's it. The statue, does it come with a cigarette or no? Uh, I would say no. Okay, well, you know. Live healthy. Live healthy. <laughs> Um, so, record. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's official yet, but record uh, a newspaper out of Portugal. I uh, by the time, yeah, I guess it was today's paper. Um, all all signs are that Fernando Sanch is going to stay on as uh, as a manager for uh, for the foreseeable. the The World Cup is next year uh, in uh, in November. Uh, we also have World Cup qualifying. Um, Portugal's already three matches in. They have. Uh, three match, or I'm sorry, five matches uh, left to go uh, in their qualifying uh, the rest of this calendar year. Do you think, Eric, the fact that and I'll and I'll look at the qualifying uh, portion of it. Portugal obviously seven points; they're up top. Uh, do you think the recent or the uh, recency may not be the the correct word, but how close we are to resuming national team duty here? Uh, September first against Ireland is the first uh, is the first match. You're calling. A, uh, a squad, uh, I would say, late August. And, you know, the tournament doesn't even end until the middle of July. So you're out now. You're looking at about a month and a half, roughly, until the, the next call-up comes up. Do you think it's just not enough time to make the change? Um, or do you think it's something that, because he's signed through 2024, the Federation doesn't want to eat that money? I think it's more of the, of the latter than it is of the former. I, I do think... Absolutely, that the fact that there isn't a big window of time between getting knocked out of this tournament and getting back into World Cup qualification plays a part in it. And there's always the fear that, you know, not only do you have to get rid of this guy, but you have to search for the right candidate, you have to interview, and then they, he has to call out the players, and then you have to, you know, put out a, a, a blueprint for for what happens going forward. And, and that is a big process, undoubtedly. The money is is the biggest issue for me. You just signed the contract a year ago, an extension. So he's not going to go anywhere. So we can we can fantasize about who could come and you know and, and completely revolutionize the, the system. It just simply is not going to happen. I would argue this though that if the wor- the money were there, and Portugal does have a treasure chest, right? I mean, I just I don't know how much money they have in their coffers, but I certainly uh, am. I mean, the in- the amount of number seven shirts that they sell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, should probably help them out a little bit. 
I don't know. The, the whole jersey sale thing, I think, is a little bit of a myth in terms of covering most, most costs. Uh, but, that's a, but that's a different conversation. But the reality is they have money to pay off uh, Fernando Sench. Um, and I'm of the belief that it is better to take a gamble on a coach who has a winning track record. And there are a few who are interested in the job who have a, 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 a winning track record or have a record of playing a particular brand of football that would be better suited for the players that we have representing our, our country. It is better to take that risk than it is to just rely on what Fernando Sánchez has been doing and will continue to do. Because I know that there are a lot of people out there who, um, having seen what happened in this tournament and with Fernando Sánchez having seen where he has failed, that he is going to somehow, you know, figure out a way to change his perception of the tactics that will bring us success. That's never going to happen. So Fernando Center stays, and we're going to see the exactly the same type of football, and we're going to continue knocking our heads against the wall. Yeah, let's let's talk about you know, again. He's not going anywhere, but let's let's play a little bit of uh, of, of fantasy here, Eric. Um, let's say news comes out tomorrow, he resigns or he's fired. Um, are there some names? You said that you have uh, you've heard of some names that are interested in the job. Uh, one that comes to mind, I think he was uh, published in the Athletic uh, in the UK. I think they had an interview with uh, with Andre Villas-Boas. I think in that article uh, he mentioned something about interest in uh, in coaching uh, this lesson. I didn't I didn't read that he was interested in doing it right away, but maybe an eventuality. But uh, you've heard his name. Um, there are some Portuguese names that are available at the moment. You have Paul Fonseca, um, Luis Castro. Um, Noon, uh, noon, we but he's either going to Fenerbahce or to or to Spurs, depending on who you're reading, and depending on what the hell Daniel Levy wants to do uh, in London. But you also have some interesting names that are not Portuguese, and I, I kind of want your take on a non-Portuguese hire, if that would be something that could be a benefit to this lesson. I'll let you answer that question first, and then I'll give you the name that I think gives me the most pause when thinking about the possibility. But you go first. I would prefer somebody who's Portuguese because of the familiarity with not only the domestic league, but already with the players. You know, it just seems like less of a heavy lift for somebody who already in some ways um, has his finger on, on the pulse. So I, I'm not, I'm Fair not big, uh, and this isn't about a coach being foreign. You know, there are lots of foreign coaches who, who would come in and probably do a very good job. Personally, I don't see somebody out there who would be an ideal candidate uh, to do so. I, I think there are a lot more, uh, a lot more candidates who are perfectly suited to take over the reins. And, you know, I would argue that one of our greatest exports uh, is coaching. You know, we have some of the best coaches in the world. We're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. Uh, coaches who didn't do especially well in Portugal, who went abroad and, and succeeded, like a Castro, as, 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 you, as you mentioned. So uh, I, would, I would like to see another Portuguese coach. Any name that comes to mind for you that you would like, that you would like to see? Like, again, scenario is he's fired tomorrow. He and and this and this guy or one of these guys are available. Who would you want to see possibly one? Not maybe not you know right away, but maybe one day take over. 
Well, hold on a second. Weren't you going to ask? Weren't you going to? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, well, a, a name well, yeah. of a foreigner. Well, yeah. Now you've you kind of poo pooed that, and I'm well, you know, no, now no, now I'm feeling bashful. I mean, I think Antonio. No, Con- I think Antonio Conte would be a nice hire. <laughs> I would love. I would love. Couldn't afford him. I know. Uh, I would love to see Zidane. No. <laughs> but I think he might actually get the get the gig in France after after they after, yeah after what happened, but. Uh, yeah, those are just two four names. Um, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to do any. And again, these are guys that don't have a lot of national team experience. I know Conte had uh, his uh, his uh, small run with uh, with Italy. No experience for uh, in, in international football for uh, for Zidane. But I mean, I'm throwing out names just because it's 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 a little fun. It's the silly season one because we know he's not going anywhere. But um, but yeah, like you know, Antonio Conte. It, as soon as as soon as uh, you know, I'm like, well, he's not. He might be something that again. I don't know if it's a. I, I'm ideally I'm with you. I'd rather go with a Portuguese coach, a Brazilian coach. I mean, Scolari was uh, was was uh, successful uh, to a certain extent uh, with this uh, with this national team. He was important. Scolari was important in, in so far as changing the mentality of the Portuguese national team, uh, believing Agreed. that they could that that they could. They could compete again, right? Getting the most, having that tournament experience and getting the most out of a very talented uh, golden generation. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. Uh, what what name? What name for you then? Uh, well, let me Portuguese just say something name. about Antonio Conte really quickly. I'm a big fan of Contes because yeah, I think but, they're but very, again, yeah, it's all it's all money. Yeah, it's baby. a lot of money, but there are very <laughs> few managers who can 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 restructure a team so quickly. Uh, and get them to play successfully. You look at Chelsea, you look at what he was able to do with Inter Milan this season, and all you have to do is look back to 2016 and what he was able to do with the Azzurri, who had a, a, a terrible team, right, um, relatively relatively speaking. Zinedine Zidane is a special case. This is a guy who is more about the cult of personality and controlling big egos than him being a, a major strategist, and I could get attacked for that. But the, you know, I've covered Real Madrid for for many years, and I think he he's a much better coach than people sometimes give him credit for. Uh, but he's not the tactician that I would be looking for to take over the Portuguese national team. I'm a big fan of Village Boys. I always have been, even when he was in charge of Porto. I think he was hard done at Chelsea, but it was part of his own naivete because he thought he could clean house when he got there. You know, he could get rid of John Terry and Frank Lampard, who then went on to not only win a league, but another league, but also went on to win the the, the Champions League. Uh, I thought he, he did rather well with Tottenham when Tottenham were evolving as a team. And more recently, when he arrived at Marseille, mm-hmm. I thought that he was able to implement his football. He was lacking a goal scorer. You know, Dario Benedetto didn't, you know, uh, he was never a a prolific goal goal scorer for Boca Juniors. And when he arrived at Marseille, he didn't add what he needed. It ended in acrimony. But I think that he's exactly the kind of attack-minded coach that players like João Félix, like Jota, uh, like André Silva could, could, uh, could benefit from having said that he's a very he has a very elaborate way of playing and the drawback could be that given that there isn't so much time as you mentioned and given that he won't be with the players in training for too long as well it could be a little bit harder to implement a system but of course he would make adjustments you know 
uh, to it. So I think he would be a, he, he'd, he'd be a great uh, candidate. I also like Paul Fonseca a lot. You know, he's a little bit more pragmatic. He's still pretty attack-minded, but he's, he's more pragmatic and a guy who right now is very available. Uh, <laughs> and given that things didn't go as well as he thought they would w- with Roma and things fell through at Tottenham because they weren't paying him what he, he thought he should be paid, I think he'd jump at the chance of coaching the Portuguese national team. Yeah, those are two interesting names for, uh, for me on the on the Portuguese side. I, I will will go off of the 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 coaching quote unquote search uh, with this with this question. Let's say Fernand Sanch gets this team by the end of twenty twenty one gets this team qualified for the World Cup. That tournament, Eric, does not start until November. Could you see again again fantasy because he's not getting fired if he gets them to the World Cup, but. If there was a changing of the guard, the ending the ending of qualification, and if they get uh, if they qualify first, a guaranteed spot, a pot one type scenario for this last song going into this World Cup that isn't six months from the qualification; it's nearly twelve months after qualification. If they if the federation had any balls, and if this is still the same kind of soccer that's being played by the end of November. Pull the trigger on 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 Fnan Sanch. Thank you, Umister. It's been a great run. And then you have an entire calendar year with probably a bunch of friendlies for the most part because no competitive soccer is going to be played for the majority of 2022. And then you get a Village Boys. You get a Paul Fonseca. You could afford maybe to – or not afford, but you could then bring a guy like Conte who then has almost an entire year to put his system in place for the tournament that could be a last hurrah for a lot of these players that are currently on this roster. I think it would be better to pull the trigger now. Okay. You know, because after that you have just a bunch of friendlies. It's not the same. Uh, Competitive games is where you want to test um, the system that you're putting forward. The the players that you want to, that you want to show faith in. And, I just think that given their position in the standings, I think they have seven points right now. Yeah, they're uh, tied with Serbia um, on goal differential. They are uh, they are up, uh, up top. Of course, they could have had nine points if they didn't squander the 2-0 uh, advantage at Serbia, but go ahead. Right, and the remainder of, of the games, I mean, you've got Republic of Ireland coming up. They are they're just nowhere near who they were in the 90s, and even then they weren't that good. So I think that this is this is an easy enough group where I think there's enough time and it's worth taking the risk to bring somebody in. And again, I'm speaking, you know, uh, theoretically here because I don't believe it's going to happen. But now would be the time and not after qualification. Give this guy as much time as you possibly can to get his feet wet, to figure out which players he wants to use and how to get the best out of them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we are talking with Eric Krakauer here of BN Sports. We are uh, going over uh, Portugal's exit following uh, their uh, 1-0 loss to Belgium in the round of 16 of Euro 2020. The uh, defending European champions, they are no more. There will be a new European champion, uh, much to our chagrin, but uh, such is life uh, in, in the world of football. Uh, Eric, let's go back uh, to the match real quick. Um, and I sent this to you in, in the notes and in, in some of the notes, you know, we, we talked, we, I give Eric notes about stuff we want to talk about. And I actually gave him some of my thoughts on this and I, I kind of want to get his, his idea uh, on it. João Concello was a big loss to this team 
uh, in this tournament. Not so much for his defensive capabilities, but for his attacking. I thought, and this is no slight to Jürgen Delot, who I thought had a, a pretty decent game against Belgium, but especially in the second half, I thought that Juan uh, Concello's absence was felt the most in those 45 minutes against Belgium, more so than at, than at any point in the tournament. Yeah, I think that's I think that's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. Although, I would say that Cancelo's absence wasn't really the problem here overall. But I think if you if you are just looking at that second half, then yes, you've got a a guy who likes to uh, slash through defenses on that right side, a guy who can attack down the middle as well as on, on the wing. Um, you know, he can underlap, overlap. That's that's what I what I mean. He can score with his right foot, score with his left foot when he when he cuts inside. He's a supremely talented player. Uh, I, I forget who it was, but somebody said when he signed for Inter, um, or was it Juve? Well, when he went to Italy, mm-hmm. somebody said that uh, he was the first player who he, he, this guy had seen who was as good of a fullback attacking as Cafu. I mean, that's, wow. That's that's, pretty, that's that's high that's praise, high praise, right? Yeah, absolutely, that's very high praise. So, uh, I think that this is a guy who was certainly missed in that game. But we are talking about far bigger, oh uh, sure, systematic issues than Cancelo. But against Belgium, I think he could have made a huge difference. Um, I I also mentioned to you that this this team I think is in a bit of an identity crisis simply because of what the current manager wants to wants to play in terms of style and the current and the current. Our crop of players um, on the offensive side that we we have, um, and, and I mentioned that I think the the team lacks a couple of things, and I think that it could all be solved without not with not a lot of changes to the roster, but just obviously the 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 style. Uh, I think this team lacks a true number ten, and I think that this team could solve that by just bringing Bernard Silva inside instead of always playing him on the wing. I know he plays on the wing a little bit too. And Man City, but uh, I I think this team has lacked creativity in the middle of the field uh, for the last few years, and the refusal to put him in the middle to at least try it out more than just a half here and and in need of a goal there, um, I think is has been a reason that I think he's been misused, um, and I think just an all an all out striker like a pure striker. Ronaldo scores goals. God bless him. He's scored more goals than almost anyone in this in international football. Uh, but, and again, maybe it's a, it's just a coaching issue. I don't understand how you can have a guy like Andre Silva who scores thirty plus goals in all competitions for Germany and not be able to get the most out of him. Maybe he is the striker we need. Maybe he is the guy that uh, could could play uh, best with Ronaldo up top. But. I think the needs that uh, that I mentioned could very well be solved simply by a change of tactic. Uh, but what do you think about those two needs in terms of, or those two areas where I think the the Slesson lacks right now? Well, it's interesting if you talk about the number nine. That's the position that Cristiano Ronaldo was supposed to be playing in this tournament, and when we needed him to be to show up in in uh, the box. Maybe not to finish off the move himself, but to to keep those center backs busy because for the most part, Belgium center backs didn't have really any work to do. Aldevereld, Vertonghen, uh, he was the third center back. Vermaelen, 
and Vermalen. 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 I mean, I, I used to love Vermalen, but this he he's a, a shadow of the player that, that he used to be. Oh, we got a visitor there. What's up, buddy? Yeah, my, my youngest just came in. Sorry. Just for, a little, for a little cameo. <laughs> a little cameo. And here he is again. Hey, bud. <laughs> All right, you want to talk? Yeah. You want to talk? Okay, here. I'll give you a microphone. Go ahead and talk. What does microphone do? What the microphone does is it uh, it talks about uh, Portugal soccer, buddy. That's what it talks about. Okay, can you go see mine? Hey, can you guys go see mine? This is all staying in, by the way. I'm not. I'm not cutting this out. There it is. <laughs> all right, boys. Hey, say say good night. Say good night. Say good night to this less on podcast audience. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, that was awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, uh, so yeah, Fernand Stunch needs to be fired. That's what we said, right? Yeah, that's, that's where we left that's, off. That's where, we, where we left off. Oh, go back to the point. You know, number nine, the position that he was playing, I would love to have seen Andres Silva uh, play more often. You know, Jota wasn't playing very well, so why not give Andres Silva the opportunity uh, to to do something? And I agree with you about Bernardo Silva. I, I think I had him in the middle in my first lineup before the game against Hungary. I wanted him in that position. And going back to, you know, the point that really sort of underscores this, which is a system, right? A system sure. of attack, a number 10, a number 9. You know, we can, we can use those, those, uh, those uh, what do you call those words? Um, buzzwords. Those buzzwords. The cliches. The, the buzzwords. Yeah. And there is truth to them. But when you look at the way Portugal attacked, there was no system. You know, why was there such a clamoring for Renato Sanchez to be in, in Portugal's eleven? Because he brings a, 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 a um, he brings energy, improvis- uh, a, 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 a improvisation. Well, yes, actually, sounds it, like two words. <laughs> I was uh, uh, never mind. Impro- he does improvise. Yes. He does improvise. It's late at night here in, in Miami. He does improvise. He's hard to read. You know, the things, the, the attacks that he created for the most part in, in, in that game and against France, a burst of speed to get away from the guy who's closest to him. He collapses defenses. Don't for a second think that Fernando Santos is, is going, well, this is what I want you to I mean, he is saying that, but that's not what's happening on the field. Sure. Imprevisível is the word that I was going for. Uh, so translate that as, <laughs> as, as you will, because I'm having all sorts of, of brain farts here. But so I think that as great as that is to see in Renato Sanchez, it's also troubling because essentially what it does is it reflects a complete lack of attacking process in the Portuguese national team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it, it, at that point, it's you're, you're just playing street ball. For lack of a better term, is the word I was going for. There you go. Unpredictable. We found it. Yeah, we, we found, found it, Eric. We there found we go. It. We found it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's go to some of our Twitter questions, and uh, we uh, we thank you guys for uh, for sending those in. Uh, again, we apologize for not being on yesterday. Uh, we had technical difficulties on both our ends. And look at us now, Eric. No no uh, no squiggly lines. No uh, no no choppy no choppy sounds. I know I've jinxed it the rest of the time here, but we'll uh, we'll we'll go and plenty and, of cameos. And no, plenty. Oh, so many. And and is Ramona going to make another 
uh, an appearance before the uh, the <laughs> this list. Oh, she's passed. Oh, she's God, passed out. God bless her. All right. Well, uh, let's go to uh, to uh, Mario here. Um, his uh, Twitter handle is uh, M A L underscore Amanyad. Oh, Malamanyad. There we go. Twenty. Uh, if Santos is in fact staying at the helm, which we know he is, uh, we would love to see a formation change in the team. Too much attacking power not being uh, taken advantage or taking advantage of a three-four-three, perhaps three center backs plus wingers. What are your thoughts and possible formations going forward? I think Eric, you and I are of the opinion that uh, unless uh, a a dog of his age learns a new trick, uh, Fnan Sanchez is probably going to stick with what he uh, has has presented to us. Yeah, he's never shown any inkling of, of playing with anything else other than a back four. And he actually, in the press conference leading to the tournament, I think alluded to the back four when he was asked about the possibility of ever playing with a back three. He said, no, we're sticking with what we know. I personally, and this was a conversation I was having uh, with a, a football commentator, soccer commentator from another, another network just uh, a couple of days ago, I'm a big fan of the 3-4-3. I always have been, uh, more so after I really learned the ins and outs of the formation. And I think that if you look at the wing-back role, we have players who can perform those duties admirably. Sure. Rafael Guerrero played for Lucien Favre at Dortmund in that position, and we we saw him play the best football he's ever played. The defensive liabilities, for the most part, go out the door. On the right side, Cancelo. Nelson Smith is even better uh, playing uh, in that role. So the issue then becomes, who are the three center backs? Now, there's a, there's a real possibility that Pep will not feature in the World Cup. I still think he very much has a role to play. I mentioned before at the top of the, the broadcast that he, along with Renato Sancho, is one of the best players. Um, you look at Ruben Diaz, he's going to be the leader of the back line. And then you look at you know the guys from the under-21 I like uh, I like um, Kedosh. I think he's he's a good center back uh, and uh, late uh, as well. So these are two guys who could slot in, but they're green when it comes to to the national team. Sure, Inge Duarte is a pretty good guy too, but I'm not sure he's of the level that you need to be to really count yourself among the contenders. So I don't think the three four three is ever going to happen with Fernando Santos, but I think that at times it could be a a good uh, good formation. Uh, we now go to uh, Paul Hudrich. Paul is at uh, Paul Junior O D P A P A U L J R O D. He's asking any reason why Fernand Sanch would uh, choose to keep three goalkeepers active on the match day roster. All three goalkeepers were available as subs versus France and Belgium. They were actually um, all uh, in all four matches. Uh, they had uh, all four or all three on the roster. Uh, why did uh, Suns not make an extra field player available as a sub? Eric, what's the rule? Not rule, but like I guess the rule of thumb uh, on that. Are you surprised that uh, in today's football, uh, three goalkeepers would be on a roster, on a game day roster, instead of just having uh, the backup and then bringing an extra field player? Look, first of all, if you're gonna if you're gonna allow squads to bring twenty six players into a tournament. Just let them all be on the bench. Thank I you. I, I don't get. I've this. never. I've never understood. Like it was. It was eighteen when there's a twenty three. There's twenty three yeah. when there's a twenty six. Yeah. Just everybody, it, you make them available. It's, it's silly. Just, just put these guys on the bench. But that's neither here nor there. 
And, you know, a lot of question marks or a lot of questions were asked of Luis Enrique with Spain when he decided to only bring 24 of the 26 players. Fernando Sanchez said that, you know, in bringing 26 players, the, the, the benefit is, yes, you have a, a bigger player pool to choose from, but you have to tell three players before every game that they're not going to be a part of this squad list. You know, I saw that question uh, on my um, Twitter page, and it's a good question. Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe he thinks that Rui Silva can play as an extra striker when the when the backs are against the wall. He is, <laughs> he is very tall. He's a very good goalkeeper as well. Called a lot of his games this season for for Granada. I really don't know the answer to that question. I, I really, really don't know. I yeah, don't know. They, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Lobson, Rui Silva were on the team sheets for each of the four games. None of them saw any action throughout the the tournament. Nor would you expect them to. Uh, unless uh, unless there would be an injury to uh, to Rui Patricio, uh, but you you know not making the the team sheets. Um, Gonzalo Guedes didn't make it on three team sheets. Uh, Noon Minch because of injury didn't make it on the first two sheets, I believe. Uh, and then uh, Diogo Dalot, uh, Palinha, Felix, uh, Oliveira, and uh, and Pedro Gonçalves didn't make it on one. Um, can I can I, can I just cut you off there? Yeah, yeah, um, go for it. By the way, that's great information because I certainly wasn't keeping track of that. But Sergio Oliveira, for me, is is just an enigma. A guy who had a an excellent, an outstanding season with Porto. Uh, a versatile center midfielder. Technically gifted. A guy who can shoot from distance. He can do pretty much everything. He's a good set-piece set piece guy. Why did he not feature more? I mean, I got no problem with Moutinho playing. I thought he was very good against France. Yeah, me too. Um, against Belgium, you know, he didn't have too many touches in the attacking uh, in 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 Belgium's midfield. Most of it, it was organizationally uh, in his own half. But why is Sergio Oliveira not playing? I just don't understand. You see, these these are questions that make you really wonder about uh, Fernando Santos. Yeah, and and again, and uh, let's go back to the to the to the Portuguese league. You have a player like Pedro Gonçalves of your yes. beloved Sporting, who le- who led the team, who led the league in scoring. Yeah, and not a minute. No, not a minute. No. You know, a guy like again, green you beyond knew that green. Was happen. You knew that was going to happen. That's yeah, but but at the same time, Eric, it's like you can only call so many people. I mean, again, not only did the t- not only did the roster expand, but also the subs expanded too. Yeah, and and that's where you know you. Uh, like going back to the game against against Belgium, the back three of Belgium was something that I thought Portugal could take advantage of, uh, because of the age and because of you know if they could somehow play a a competent offensive game. And I thought uh, three guys, yeah, right. And I thought three guys that could have uh, been um, ideally suited to maybe break down a a Belgium defense in the second half were. Rafa Silva, Pedro Gonçalves, and a Gonçalves Gedge. Now Gedge hasn't had a great season, but you yeah. brought him on. The, but you brought him on the roster for a reason, and he has speed. Rafa Silva is the fastest player on that team, and he didn't feature in the last two matches. And then you never saw Pedro Gonçalves at all. So yeah, out of all ahead. those, out of those three, but is the guy who, for me, offered the 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 attributes or or had the attributes that could help break down Belgium. You know they were really far back. I think that you know Gonzalo Gage. You know you know how I feel about him. I I just don't trust him. Uh, Rafa impactful in that game against Hungary, but fortuitously so. Uh, Bot is a guy who who proved that he can score a variety of different goals 
for Sporting. You know, he's not just a one-trick pony. And given that these teams would not have been, Belgium would not have been very familiar with, with him because he hasn't played, they wouldn't have scouted him that much. Sure. He would have offered something a little different. So I completely agree with you. How yeah. is this guy not thrown in when you're throwing the kitchen sink at Belgium? Yeah, and that's and that's where I'm coming. And again, I'll go back to just the in terms of the attributes, not so much the 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 form or anything, but the attribute of speed for Rafa Silva and Gonçal Guedes and Pot to bring in João Felix, who the day after the tournament is announced that he needs ankle surgery, and I know players will will fight through injury until they absolutely don't you know don't have any games, but if he's on a bum wheel. And 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 to, and credit to him, I thought in his appearance against Belgium, he he wasn't terrible. I still think there's a lot of pressure on this kid, unduly so, because he's not the one that was sold, or he's not the one that sold himself for 126 million dollars. Benfica did, and with that comes expectation, whether he wants it or not. But um, if you're gonna, I just it just it it frustrated me to not to have two of those options, two of those speed options, not even on the team sheet against Belgium and then you have Pot just sitting just you know twiddling his thumbs and watching an entire senior tournament uh, for the first time from the bench again he's going to get his opportunity in the under 21 euro as yeah well. absolutely and he could have yeah he could have helped them especially with uh Trincao uh, uh and uh was it uh, who else was it and uh Thierry Cuella, uh out uh via COVID but that's another story for another day uh quickly uh under 21 we didn't mention this name who is George any interest at all in him being the senior no, team yeah me no. neither I mean he, look I I don't think he's actually won anything, right? He, he, he didn't no. win with the under-19s a few years ago. No, no. look, I think he's done a good job. I, I, I think that some of the criticism that's been leveled at him is, is a little unfair, but he's not done nearly enough to deserve that position. Uh, let's go now to Johnny C. Johnny used all 260 characters on his Twitter uh, account for this one, and we go to his question here. There we go. Uh, what will this team look like in Qatar uh, for the World Cup? Who replaces Pep alongside Diaz? Is CR7 still a lock to start? Will Moutinho and Font be phased out? Which players make the leap to the senior team and make an Im- immediate impact? Thanks, guys. Let's <laughs> thank you, Johnny, for uh, for uh, chiming in here. Um, uh, let's. I'll answer the first question, Eric. I don't think this team looks much different um, 15 months from now, with maybe the exception maybe in the back with, I mean, I think it'll, it'll look different because I don't think Nelson Smith, if a healthy Ricardo Pereira is an option and João Conselo doesn't get COVID again and doesn't get injured. I think you'll see those two on the right-hand side uh, of the defense. Um, you'll see Nun Minge, uh on the left with uh, Rafael Gajairu. But I think if there's going to be any major change, um, and I don't even think there will be a major change, but if there is one, I would I could see maybe uh, bringing a, a young guy or two in that center position, center back position, uh, to to go along with Huben uh, Diaz and Pep. I still think Pep is a starting center back for this team um, in, in the World Cup of 2022. Believe it or not. Well, given given the performances we saw from him in this tournament. I don't think you can make an argument against that, but a lot changes in a year, and he is oh, sure. 38 years old. Oh, uh, and, and the setting just changed to a dark setting. So no, look at that. So look- that's because I was bringing the negativity about <laughs> about Pep. You know, it knew exactly what was what was going on. I think I think João Moutinho. There's there is a chance, there is a chance that he may hang up his national team boots. Font as well. Font is 37. 
Uh, yeah, I think great yeah. season with Lille, but I don't think he wants to be on the bench in the World Cup. And I think that's exactly where he's going to be. And he knows it. So I think we're looking at a young crop of players. I already mentioned late and Kedaj. I think those those two guys are probably going to be amongst the the calculations. And and Cristiano Ronaldo will definitely be there. And you know, perhaps unfortunately, I'm sorry, I'm saying this. Uh, he'll be starting uh, because wow, he, I, you I, know what, guys? He started. He's going to finish like he started. No, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, and this this isn't a knock on him. This is about. You either find you either find somebody who comes in and manages to get him to do what he needs to do for the team, and I'm and I'm fully aware that overall he played well in this tournament. I'm not saying he has, sure, but Cristiano Ronaldo for the last few years has been one of those players where he gets the job done, but you have to do a lot for him in order for him to get that job done. Okay, you know, and it. He's too old to build a team around him, and there's too much talent to build a team around him. Uh, I think he'd probably be more effective coming off off the bench. So, I, of course, he's going to be there. I want to see him there, but but I hope that by that point we have found some sort of formula that isn't reliant on him. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's go to another question here. And actually, Eric, I. I uh... Before I get to this next question, and it goes, it goes kind of with uh, with what Johnny was was asking. You know, a guy that I felt, uh, another guy I should say that I felt uh, was a huge loss um, for for Portugal in this tournament, and another player that I thought, uh, if he was healthy, especially in that Belgium game, could have could have been a difference maker, was Pedro Net, uh, the uh, the the uh, the, uh, the winger from. Uh, from Wolverhampton, um, he unfortunately had had uh, got a knee injury a couple of months before um, the tournament started. Obviously, was going to be unavailable, but um, again, a guy like him um, could have definitely uh, helped out the uh, the Slesson against um, against Belgium and, and in this tournament overall. I agree, and I think if had he been included, but probably wouldn't or Gedge, one of those two. Um, I think he would have seen some time. And in the, the flashes that I saw him wearing a Portuguese national team jersey, you know, I, I thought he had a lot to offer. And he had a very good season with Wolves. Yep, absolutely. All right, uh, let's go to our next question here. And our next question is from, and now I've screwed up my computer, so give me one second. Uh, one thing I will uh, I will say as I, as I try to gather myself here um, is there's still – I mean – I think the most frustrating thing about this tournament in the last couple of years, Eric, is just so much. There's just so much ispransa, and I hate to use that term because that's kind of the term that's used for the under twenty ones. But because of this young senior crop of players, we just don't want to see a, an opportunity or multiple opportunities end, or not be, or not be at least ex, uh, uh, explored. Because of old school tactics, and I think that's been probably the most frustrating part of being a fan the last few years is that, um, you know, I don't know. There's not a name for this generation, nor nor do I think should there be, but these guys are playing trade in England and in Spain and in Germany and in France and in Portugal, and you just don't want, you just want to maximize what you have with this with this squad before the time runs out on. Ronaldo and Pep and you know some of you know Moutinho as well. They've won their title. Don't get me wrong, but you'd love to see them 
they, they have they are on a team right now that should be fighting for another one or another two uh, before before it's all said and done with them. Yeah, I think fighting is fighting is the the right word. But all you have to do is just look at this Belgian national team, which is stacked with with talent, um, to know that winning these tournaments is very 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 hard. Uh, I mean, look oh, sure. what happened to, to to Germany. Look at what just happened to France. I know. Look what happened not, to Group F, Eric. Look what just happened to Group <laughs> F. Quite quite literally, the group of death um, in the in this tournament. But I think the point the point is, you know, fighting. Get, at least getting into a position where people all of a sudden think, oh, there's a really good chance that you're going to win because you've made it to the semifinals, and there's too much talent for that not to happen in the World Cup. Yep. All right. Let's go to our uh, our next question here, and it is from uh, JJ uh, J Jardine twenty nine. Uh, should Hui Patrice you step aside as the starting goalkeeper? Uh, you have Anthony Lopes. You have Hui Silva, who you uh, are very high on. But um, I'm I'm with you as you're shaking your head. I don't think Hui Patrice has done anything uh, egregious enough to uh, to say that his time as the starting goalkeeper for this last song is over, and he's gonna be uh, you know taking a step up in terms of. Uh, I don't want to say competition, but just in terms of club, he's supposed to be closing uh, his deal with uh, Roma to join up with uh, Jose Mourinho here in the next uh, few weeks, uh, maybe in the next few days as the window opens up officially on the 1st. So uh, I don't think Hui Patricio should be uh, stepping aside for anyone at the moment. No, I don't. And I'm a big fan. You know, you mentioned Rui Silva. I like Rui Silva, but Anthony Lopez is also a, a phenomenal goalkeeper. He had a stellar campaign with Lyon, where he's been his entire career. I'm glad that he's back in the fold after taking some some time off. And I think he's almost as good, if not as good, as Rui Patricio. But Rui Patricio has been unbelievable for the Portuguese national team. The, the goal that he denied Paul Pogba, which he then replicated yep. successfully against against Switzerland, that was that was just an incredible save. And he, he does that routinely. Stop Griezmann in 2016 and i say this having met rui patricio look at this and guy not, and not having, not, not having liked him too much on, oh, no. a, personal, on a personal level did he push you, know? you did he push you away with his hands is that what no, happened no, he was just he was a little obnoxious but uh <laughs> you know i got stories about portuguese national team players uh you know two, two of my favorites who's that ruben amuri and he was okay. a benfica player at the time so you can tell i'm not a clubista okay and uh elder pustiga uh, who is uh, was a, a, a fun guy, fun guy. Uh, the balls on him to go uh, to go. Uh, what is it? What is it called? The uh, Paneka. Paneka. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In in two thousand four against the against I, England, the ball. I have a story about that guy, but I I'm going to do him a favor. You, I won't. I won't. Share. You know. What? We'll do it. If I ever do a Patreon, we'll we'll yeah. we'll have you back on for that one. We'll have I'll, we'll have the I'll folks. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. When he saw me after a game. He gave me a big hug. <laughs> oh, look at like you're getting him. You like you you get you're getting embraced by national teamers here. Eric, you're such a big deal, buddy. I, I'm definitely not a big deal, but, <laughs> but I but I've gotten to spend some time with some of these guys. Uh, you know, a, a a player that we haven't uh, touched on a little bit um, that I think had a a rough go of it uh, was Brun Fernandes. Um, again, I think for him. I, I really think it's a system issue with this national team, um, like so many other players. Um, you know, it's just seeing him, the first. It's again, it's a frustrating thing to see him be as good as he is with Man U, 
and just not be able to replicate that even a little bit uh, with the national team. Um, you, do you have any worries, I guess, at this point with uh, Brun Fernandes on this national team, or is it, again, just more of a it's more of a Fernandes issue than it is a Brun Fernandes issue for the most part? I think only Paul, uh, um, only Maguire, Harry Maguire, uh, played more minutes than Brun Fernandes for Manchester United this season. I think Ruben Diaz. I know that he's in the in the, in the top five. I think, I think Brun Fernandes. I think Brun Fernandes played the most minutes in all of the Premier League. Did he really? Okay, yeah. so Brun Fernandes. Yeah, yeah. So you you've got that knock against him, right? I mean, he, he looked fatigued at times. I think he had a good second half a, a, against Hungary. Um, Playing out of position, he's the one who creates the first goal with an incredible pass to, to Rafa in the half space. I know there was a lot of luck involved, but his his vision uh, to, to thread that ball just shows all the quality that he has at his disposal. But I do think it's a systems thing. Look, this is a guy who picks up the ball in a lot deeper positions for the for Manchester United. He has a lot of positional freedom, and that is not the case with with Portugal, and I think one of the biggest headaches that Fernand Central will have going forward is trying to get, and this is something we, we mentioned in our preview of the tournament, is trying to get the club form into the national team, his club form into the national team. And for that, maybe you need to build the team a little bit more around him than anybody else. I don't know. I don't quite know the answer to that because also you got Bernardo Silva, who you say you want to see in the middle. I'd like to see him in the middle. We've got a lot of players who play in similar positions. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a good problem to have, but it's still a problem nonetheless. And you got to hope that at some point, Fernand Sanchez or whoever uh, comes comes uh, comes a knock and uh, as as the manager figures out the the right strings to pull. Maybe that three four three that uh, we were asked about would would be suited. Maybe maybe. Uh, okay, so Eric, that's that's it for in terms of the the tournament questions. I you know you are a, you are a man of football. So I'm going to ask you a little bit, or bring up some, uh, some, uh, I guess some, uh, some noteworthy um, tweets or some just some news here uh, regarding Slesson players. The first one uh, involves Renat Sanch. Um, I, I think he was the player of the uh, of the tournament for for Portugal. Um, uh, I don't know if if you feel the same. I know that him and Pep were, were your top two there, but um, there is some there is some noise that he's probably earned. Another shot at a big club. Obviously, uh, what happened with Bayern a few years back after the the purchase from Benfica did not go well. After 2016, he's rebuilt his uh, his uh, his stock um, at Lille and in this tournament. Um, Andrew or uh, excuse me, Andre Vega is asking. Assuming Hanat has earned himself a move this Euro and uh, this Euro 2020, what club would you think would give him the best chance to succeed and be the star again at uh, 2022? Uh, and I didn't even catch the uh, the Felix part of this question, but and for that matter, if Felix was ever to move too, um, I've heard and read that Liverpool and Juve are interested in Hanat Sanch. I would assume that maybe Bayern would would want to maybe bring him back, but I don't think there's any kind of buyback issue. I don't believe, but you would think that big clubs, Eric, are going to be knocking on uh, Hanat Sanch's door this summer, and maybe a move uh, away from Lille could be in the offing. Yes, it's very likely because Lille are in financial dire straits. In fact, most of the French uh, clubs are because of the uh, their domestic TV deals breaking down. Um, so I, I think there's a there's a, a very good possibility that he will jump ship. Although Lille are asking for ninety million. I'm sorry which, that you didn't say one nine, right? 
<laughs> no, definitely not one nine. <laughs> and given and and given that he's still in the contract, I think for another two years, uh, they have a lot of power. But I can see a big team wrestling them, um, you know, wrestling him away from the club and and doing some sort of deal with with a lot of the payments coming uh, in, in the in the in the future. So Juventus, I think, would be a pretty good fit. They lack an explosive midfielder like him. I think that's one of the big problems that they had this season. They didn't have that sort of dynamic box-to-box midfielder. Uh, I don't know if he'd go back to Bayern. Uh, apparently, they have that buy- buyback clause that you mentioned. I-, I really had never heard about that buyback clause. I yeah, I'm not 100% think, sure. Again, that's, it's, 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 all, it's all on Twitter. So, yeah, yeah take uh, Twitter for whatever it's worth. Well, the, the, the Sun or, you know, one of those, one of those um, trustworthy, not... Uh, uh, newspapers if you could call them that tabloids I mentioned the buyback clause so maybe Juve who knows that could uh, that could keep Cristiano Ronaldo at the uh, Vecchia Signora well maybe maybe you just never know next question regarding or next uh, tweet I should say uh, regarding some movement this summer regarding Slesson players Um, uh, Sean Gillen who uh, uh, does a great job of uh, on the transfer side of things for uh, for Portugal.net um uh, he uh, shared that uh, the German newspaper Bild uh, is uh, reporting that Andre Silva is set to sign for RB Leipzig uh, from Frankfurt for an initial fee of 23 million and could go up to 35 million with Silva earning up to 4 million euros per year at Leipzig. Don't know the uh, the length of that deal. I would assume it'd be at least three to four seasons. But what do you think of a potential move for Andre Silva? Uh, uh, moving over from uh, Frankfurt to uh, RB Leipzig? I think it's a great deal uh, for both the player and for the club. Since Timo Werner left uh, two seasons ago, uh, RB Leipzig haven't had a dependable scorer. Uh, Polson from the, the Danish international is there, but he's not a guy who scores at a high clip. You have one of the outstanding uh, playmakers and one of the top scorers in this Euro uh, and Emil Forsberg, who is excellent. Um, so it, it's a team that is going to go through a rebuilding process with Jesse Marsh, by the way, who's who's now in charge of the of the club. As American Nagels- American Jesse Marsh. Yeah, American Jesse Marsh with uh, Julian Nagelsmann heading to to Bayern Munich. You know they've lost uh, some of their best center backs um, to Liverpool and to to Bayern Munich. So there's going to be a rebuild, and why not bring Andres Silva into that into that project. He, he's proven that uh, that he's a goal scorer in the Bundesliga. There had been some rumored interest from Real Madrid as well as somebody in Italy. But if you know the league well and you're going to be handsomely remunerated, why not stay where you are comfortable and Boy. a very ambitious and with a very ambitious club? Boy, look whose uh, vocabulary just came back. What was that? What was that word you just used? Remunerated. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. That's a good off. Sean Gillen also uh, uh, tweeting out uh, this uh, report from uh, the Gazzetta dello Sport. I don't think I have a really good Italian uh, dialect here, but uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's future will be discussed during a meeting between uh, George Menge and Juve. Uh, when that meeting is going to take place, uh, we don't know. Could have already taken place. Could be taking place in the next few days. The Italians are prepared to accept offers of $29 million for our Portuguese captain. Eric, uh, I had posed this to you uh, before the show, um, but 
I find 29 million to be a bit low. I know he's 36. I know he's on the wrong side of everything in terms of age, but he is a player who has scored over 100 goals in the Italian league in the last three years. Uh, I think I would be a little shocked if I saw Ronaldo not playing for Juve uh, next season uh, with the fact that he was sold for 29 million euros or 35 million dollars, I think would be the the the, uh, the convergence there. But um, does that number shock you? And do you think uh, Ronaldo will be uh, back uh, with, uh, with uh, Juve next season? The number doesn't shock me. And all you have to do is realize the the financial predicament that Juventus find themselves in. They have to pay this guy, I think it's 31 million clean, limpus, as they say in Portugal. Limpinho. I think it's a 31 million. And as I already noted, in order for Cristiano Ronaldo to be successful, you need to build a team around him. And I don't know where they're going forward at 36. That's a smart and prudent thing for Juventus to do. And again, you know, not that I need to do this, but I'll do it. Uh, I love Cristiano Ronaldo as a player. Uh, And much like we were saying, Fernando Santos has been fantastic for the Portuguese national team. So is Cristiano Ronaldo, not just for the Portuguese national team, but for the for the world's game. But at the end of the day, Juventus have to make a decision that is that is financially healthy for them. And I think that is allowing Cristiano Ronaldo to go. And I do believe that this could happen because usually you'd see a club like Juventus bending backwards, uh, trying to get out the message that the future for Cristiano Ronaldo is at Juve. He's not going anywhere. They haven't done that. Nedved, at one point, their sporting director said, no, he'll be here next season. That was a month and a half ago. Sure. Nothing has been said since. So I do believe that he's going to go. I, I've got a couple of ideas where he may end up. And I think this is more out of necessity for Juve than anything else. And I'm not sure Max Allegri wants to keep him in Turin. Uh, can I can I press you on where you think uh, he could end up? Uh, I he's not, think- he's, he's not going to sporting yet. No, he's not going to go to Sporting yet. <laughs> I think that there is there is a, he could potentially end up at PSG. Mm, that's so underwhelming. Why? Why I just I, I think PSG would have been the move before Juve. If I if I had my druthers. I just Well, listen, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I mean, again, the amount it, of talent that they have there. I just I would hate to see him on the same field as Neymar. I really do, and I don't know if that would mean that one uh, either Mbappe or, or Neymar would have to go. Uh, you, I mean, that attack of those three up top would be just absolutely dangerous. But I'm just, I'm not a fan of uh, of uh, of Neymar the player. I don't think he really makes a a team um, that much better. Uh, I oh think my it, god, Danny! I, oh I, my, I, can't I don't. I just don't. I think if there's if there's ever been a player who is more show than he is talent, in my opinion, it's Neymar. Uh, we have to have words after this podcast. I won't we will. pursue. I won't pursue that that avenue of discussion. But uh, it does look. It it could create some imbalances in the team. I understand that. But knowing that Cristiano Ronaldo is obsessed with titles, the possibility of going to another c- country to win another league, sure, and then having a, a good chance of winning the Champions with somebody else, which we know was his goal going to Juve, that didn't work out. Uh, I think it, there is a possibility that he goes there. I don't think he goes to Manchester United anymore because they're about to spend a big, uh, big load of, of cash on uh, a guy who's hardly featured for England, Jaden Sancho, who I think is yeah. England's best player. <laughs> 
Yeah, and they somehow made it to uh, made it to uh, the quarterfinals. You know what, Eric? Maybe it is coming home. You never know. Yeah. Uh, last one here, and it's very critical of you. Uh, this is this is in re- in response to uh, to uh, to us uh, posting for the this show guy, here. He must have he must have been drinking something when he wrote he's, this. He said he's listened to all the pods. I think your insight is awesome. You have a profound soccer knowledge and are great in the breaking down the team's ta- uh, team's tactics. Glad to have you on our side. This is from uh, Huberto. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Forza Electric. Uh, that this is was... my burner account, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I bring this up. I bring this up only to say, uh, as part of a just huge thank you uh, for for you being uh, with us uh, this entire uh, Euros. I obviously we we both wish it would have gone a little longer. Uh, our significant others maybe are a little happy that the tournament is over. Um, but, uh, I think mine is anyway, because now I have to get ready for a vacation that I was hoping was going to get delayed maybe by a couple of days, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but Eric, th- this show has never been more visible, um, than it has been in this tournament. And I, I'm not here to blow smoke up your ass. This well, that is has very... nothing to do with me. It just has to do with the tournament. <laughs> well, you know, the tournament does help. I'm not going to lie, but yeah. Having having you know, I I approached you with this idea uh, about a month or so before the tournament started, and uh, and I thought that it would be fun to have uh, a collaborative effort here with us um, in this during the tournament, and uh, I you know the response we've gotten has has been um, nothing short of of positive, um, you know I mentioned in in the last episode you know like we started uh, you know just in terms of numbers. On Twitter, we were at just over 800. We are now almost at 1,100 in terms of Twitter followers. Um, you know, our our downloads have been up. We've ranked in the top 10 in two countries on soccer podcasting charts. Uh, one being Canada. So shout out to the GTA and everybody in uh, in Toronto and and everyone in uh, in Canada. Um, also Taiwan. We've done well in Taiwan. Top three in Taiwan. So. You know all the jerseys that you're wearing, all the clothes that you're wearing. <laughs> you know, give a little shout out to them. But um, but all kidding aside, it's just been a lot of fun, man. And and I'm I'm glad we've 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 built on the relationship that started three years ago when you first came on the pod. And uh, I, I feel like I've made a, a friend for life here. And I just really really thank thank you for your time and your your generosity because the last episode we did, you were up until three in the morning talking to me, dude. It's now approaching midnight in Miami. Um, your passion for this, your, your just professionalism and, um, your, you know, just, I, I can't thank you enough, man. I really do. Thank you. Right, listen, man. Uh, thank you. Because when you, when you offered me this opportunity, I took it because, you know, getting to talk about Portuguese, the Portuguese national team, as I've said before, is not something I get to do often because I don't cover the team in any other place. So this has been a great, great fun. You've done a, a, a great job. I, you know, not once did I make fun of that microphone that you have in front of your face. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, this one doesn't work for whatever reason. All yeah. right. Sorry. Um, I actually want to also thank the, everybody who's been listening to the pod because they've been reaching out. They've been very, very gracious, very, very kind. Uh, that Roberto one, that's me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> is your middle name, uh, Hubert? Is it Eric Hubert's crack hour? Is that uh, my, it? My name is what is this? Lesson electric, electric. Oh, let me yeah, let me bring it. Let me bring no, it back Force up. Electric, here. Force electric. Force electric. That's <laughs> there what it is. Was. Uh, so I sent sent him a message, uh, and I, I appreciate the kind words. And look, sadly, sadly, it didn't work out the way we expected it to or hoped that it would. But there is a silver lining, 
and that is that you can watch the rest of the tournament without dreading the day that Portugal takes the field because it is always when I'm at my most nervous and anxious and, uh, and at, my, at my worst because my behavior is terrible before those games. Yeah, the swearing is a, is a bit of a is a bit of a problem when when yeah. I'm watching uh, the Slesson. I was at a a buddy of mine is having uh, a baby, so Anthony Costa, shout out to you and and baby Costa coming in uh, in August. Uh, but as his wife was having her baby shower that day, he invited us all over to their house to watch uh, to watch the game, and there was a young child. She may have been maybe three or four years old, and her father, who I never met before, was 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 with her. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, Danny, you've got to ring it in, just rein it in. It's, it's, it's just a game. Sure enough. As soon as Jota misses that first opportunity in the sixth minute, I let out an F bomb and I'm just like, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm going to go watch it in the garage or something. (laughs) And the dad and the daughter left at halftime. And I don't want to say it was because of me, but I don't think it wasn't not because of me. So I, you know, but it's. Yeah, it, you can you can watch these games. Unfortunately, now with a lot of uh, more relaxation. I mean, yesterday. I mean, we're we're recording here on a on a third or on a Tuesday here. Monday uh, during the Euros, outside of uh, Portugal winning uh, in twenty sixteen, Eric. I don't know if I've ever been more excited for the amount of drama and the just heart attacking uh, style that we saw in the uh, in the Spain in the Spain match and in, in the Fran- in the France match as well. Just Wall to wall, three one leads, not being yeah. able to be to be held. It was it was it's a great time. I think it's been a great tournament. Um, I think the only thing I've hated is just the the multiple, uh, you know, part you know, just uh, multiple areas that uh, the Euro- the European uh, tournament is is taking place. But I think the tournament's been great, and I just think it's been it's been awesome to watch. Yeah, lots of goals. One of the best tournaments ever. I agree with you. I don't like the the multi. Uh, multi-hosting cities, multi-hosting countries, especially when you're UEFA, you're basically giving home field advantage to some countries that have some very questionable political practices. That's all I'll say about that. But UEFA haven't exactly covered themselves in glory with that whole no uh, th- those shenanigans with uh, with uh, Bayern Munich, the the Alliance wanting to light up the stadium in pride colors, which would have been great, but you know, caving into to political pressure. So great tournament. Unfortunately, we're we're not we're not in it anymore, but we can certainly still enjoy it. Is it coming home, Eric? I don't think so. I think Spain is going to win it. All right, Eric uh, uh, over uh, over England, more than likely. Oh yeah, you think, it's, you think it's a, you think it's a Spain England final? Uh, you know what? I, I wouldn't look past Denmark. I love Denmark. Boy, what a what a story! What a story, what a story that would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Eric, we could go on forever here, bud, but I'm uh, I'm going to let you go because you have absolutely uh, <laughs> gone way above and beyond. Again, thank you so much for being a part of uh, of this summer with me in uh, in this tournament. And uh, I I think I'll I'm going to uh, give you leave for the rest of the calendar year 2021. I'll get uh, I'll get the World Cup qualifying stuff. I'll, we'll get some other folks on the on board. Give you the give you the rest of the summer. Hope you have a great summer, man. And uh, looking forward to seeing you back on. Uh, on a TV near uh, near you, and very soon, and all the best to the family, and uh, yeah, man, muito obrigado again, and uh, um abraço from California for sure. Abraço, enjoy your vacation. Until next time. And another big thank you once again to Eric Krakauer for not only joining us here on episode forty nine of the Celeste Song podcast, but for being a a huge part of our coverage 
of uh, of Euro 2020. He is absolutely 100% all class, and we've greatly appreciated his time uh, on our podcast. Remember, remember to follow him on Twitter at Eric Krakauer. That's E R I C K R A K A U E R. Uh, Eric has also been a a fixture on uh, Max Abredos's uh, the Soccer OG podcast. So if you want more of Eric and and really who doesn't, uh, make sure to catch him on the Soccer OG and again follow him on Twitter uh, at Eric Krakauer. Uh, guys, um, <laughs> it just didn't go our way this time in the Euros as as a new champion will be crowned on uh, July eleventh, twenty twenty one in London. Um, the majority of all of you think that Fernand Sanz's time has come and that he should no longer be leading this current group of players. Again, I, I can't stress this enough uh, from, from my point of view. We should all, as fans of this team, be ever so thankful to Fernand Sanz for leading this team to glory in 2016 in the Euros and then adding a second trophy in 2019 in the Nations League. But it is also more than fair to feel that he has gotten or that he hasn't gotten, I should say the best out of these players and that perhaps a new manager might, and a new manager would get uh, more out of these players. Uh, at this point, we will, uh, <laughs> we'll never know because it looks like Fernand Sanch is staying on as a manager of the Slesson. And, and I honestly, I have no doubt that by the time the World Cup uh, or the by the time that World Cup qualifying ends in November, that Portugal will likely be winners of their group and head to Qatar uh, next winter. Um, will it be pretty? Not likely. Uh, will it be frustrating at times? Quite likely. Uh, but he will get the job done and get us to the World Cup. I think we will win our group. Um, but it's what happens when we get to the World Cup that most of us feel... Uh, is where this group of players right now may fall short because of the antiquated tactics that Fernand Sanch is is still uh, abiding by and why there is a huge number, and it's a growing number of fans, and myself included because, again, I'm, I'm a fan first, uh, that feel a change at manager uh, is needed. But, uh, but we shall see. Um, as for... Uh, World Cup qualifying, we are, I mean, we we just got eliminated from Euro 2020, and uh, we are just uh, under two months away from roster call-ups for the resumption of qualifying for next winter's World Cup. That is still so weird to say, uh, winter's World Cup, the next winter's World Cup. But uh, the rest of uh, 2021, in terms of the uh, the schedule for this last song, looks like this. Um, Portugal is back on the field September the 1st in World Cup qualifying in Group A as they will host Ireland in Portugal. Uh, on September the 4th, an international friendly as part of the international uh, schedule here um, in September against Qatar. Uh, that will be uh, at a site to be determined. That site has not yet been uh, selected. Uh, and then on September the 7th, uh, the the Celestion will travel to Azerbaijan to take on Azerbaijan in October. It's another international friendly uh, on October the 9th. Uh, this one in Portugal against Qatar, uh, followed by um, a, a hosting Luxembourg on October the 12th in Portugal. And then on November the 11th, uh, the Celestion will travel to Ireland uh, to take on the Irish. And then they will close out World Cup qualifying again in first place finishing style, in my opinion, on November the 14th 
against Serbia in Portugal. That one, I believe, uh, is going to be in Lisbon, uh, but we will check that as we get closer to uh, game time, and uh, the I think the sites will uh, be updated uh, surely by the time uh, World Cup qualifying begins in earnest for uh, all the teams in Europe, but especially our beloved Celestin. So that will do it for uh, episode number 49 of the Celestin podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you again for listening, for watching, for interacting, and for supporting this podcast, whether uh, you've been with us from uh, since day one uh, or if you just found us uh, in the lead-up and during uh, Euro 2020. Uh, our presence has grown on uh, on social media and on the, the podcasting charts. Again, as I mentioned uh, with Eric and in the, in the episode before, um, we have crested uh, over a thousand followers on Twitter. Um, I, I don't tweet every day. This is not my uh, my everyday job. Uh, but the uh, the growth has has been uh, exponential in the last uh, month and a half, two months. Uh, and uh, cracking one thousand was a, was a goal of mine for this uh, Euros. So I greatly appreciate that. Uh, we broke uh, the soccer top sixty podcasting charts here in the in the United States. Uh, hit top thirty in Portugal, top forty in Australia and India top 20 in South Africa, and we hit all the way to number six in Canada. I mean, that is huge. And ironically, uh, the number six, it's, uh, it is in the six where the majority of our listeners in Canada are based out of. So a huge thank you to, uh, to all the folks out in uh, Toronto and the, uh, the greater Toronto area, the GTA, as uh, those beautiful Canucks like to say. Uh, thank you so much for uh, all of your support, uh, no matter where you're at. Um, I, I don't bring up these numbers and I don't bring up these uh, uh, accomplishments. I don't know if they're accomplishments, but I, I don't bring these up to be boastful. I, I bring this up because I am just 100% uh, legitimately grateful. Uh, I started this thing as a passion project. I've said that before um, because I wanted to bring two of the loves that I have in this world, which are the the world of podcasting and my love for this national team and share that passion and hope that that passion would catch on with a few people here and there. And I'm just so proud of where we have come. Uh, and I'm so thankful for all of you for being on this journey with me. Uh, we've introduced our, our YouTube channel during the Euros. I think that uh, that's going to be a staple going forward um, as, as we move forward with, uh, with, our, uh, with our podcast. We're going to do that as much as we can. Uh, but the biggest staple um, of, of this show is you, the listener, the viewer, the supporter, of the Celeste Sound Podcast. Thank you always for taking time out of your day, your night, your job, uh, during a trip, whenever, wherever. Um, we're meant to be together. Is that a song? I think it's a song. But thank you always for making this show part of your day whenever you do it. And it, I'll never fully grasp how this show makes it all, all the way around the world, uh, but I'm sure glad that it does. And I am extremely grateful to have all of you um, with me here on the Celeste on podcast. So, uh, the plan now is to take a, a much needed vacation. We're headed down, we're headed down to San Diego. Uh, I'm taking my, uh, my beautiful wife and my two amazing boys, uh, down to San Diego, taking my sister too. Uh, my boys don't know that, but, uh, I don't think they'll listen to the show before we go. They're six and they're three. You're thinking that they're probably not listening to the Celeste on podcast, but you saw them make an appearance, during the video portion uh, of the of the podcast, so you just never know. But uh, looking forward to uh, getting a little R and R, and then uh, the plan is to get uh, you know back at it. I mean, we'll be back uh, we'll be back before you know it uh, with uh, with World Cup qualifying 
Uh, the the roster will be announced uh, at the end of uh, at the end of August, and then uh, you know we might sprinkle in a, an episode or two uh, before before the uh, beforehand I should say, um, you know got some uh, got some irons in the fire. See if we can uh, work something out a couple of episodes before uh, we get back in earnest with World Cup qual- qualifying, and we'll be back in your ears before you know it, folks. So uh, yeah, before we say goodbye, remember bookmark our website celestsoundpod.com. Our YouTube channel, again, subscribe to that. I hope you guys like the new look of that YouTube channel. I was playing around with uh, a few things today. I think it looks uh, pretty snazzy. I guarantee you it's going to look different the next time I use it because I, I just can't leave well enough alone. But uh, remember to uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, on its YouTube channel. Uh, just search the Celeste Song Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Celeste Song Pod. Hit us up on Instagram at Celeste Song Pod, Facebook.com slash Celeste Song Pod, and email the show Celeste Song Pod at Gmail. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or any other podcasting platforms by simply entering the Celeste Song Podcast in your search engine and get 20% off and free shipping with the code Celeste Song at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code Celeste Song. That's S-E-L-E-C-A-O. Remember to go to Manscaped and use that promo code to get your 20% off and free shipping. Follow the Joseph Ray Barbecue Company on Instagram at Joseph underscore Ray underscore BBQ underscore CO. And remember to message them the next time you want to cater an event in the Northern California and Bay Area. Uh, we normally end the show uh, with a track from uh, Uzomj. Uh, they have uh, just been so great to, uh, to... It's been great to have their music be part of the uh, the, the the intro and the uh, the end of each of our episodes uh, but I was feeling a little patriotic and came across this rendition of the Portuguese national anthem, and I want to play it uh, to end the show here, this go-around. Uh, it is, it is uh, performed by a good friend of ours, uh, David Barcelge of uh, Artesia, California. That is down south in California. Um, uh, just a wonderful rendition of uh, a Portuguesa. David is part of a, of a band in Southern California called 562. Uh, he's honestly one of the most talented musicians I have ever had the pleasure of of knowing in this rendition of a Portuguese just just hit me this weekend because I'm sad and I'm disappointed that Euro 2020 is over. And I'm sad and I'm disappointed that we are no longer European champions because I love this team. I love this team, and pardon my language, and I'm not going to bleep this out, so fucking much. <laughs> and I just love this team. I love being Portuguese. I am proud to be Portuguese-American. And I, I just can't wait to see the Celestial on the field again. So I, I hope you like this uh, this rendition um, of uh, Portuguesa. And uh, again, thank you guys uh, so much as always for for the wonderful support you provide uh, this podcast. So my name has been Danny Pinto. I have been your host of episode number forty nine of the Celestial Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. And as always, and from the bottom of my heart, Força Portugal!